The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Lord, I pray that as we sit to hear your word taught, that you would speak to us from it by your Holy Spirit. That you would please speak through the pastor and um, give him boldness and grace in your word by the power of your spirit. And that through your spirit, you would work in our hearts, that we grow in affection for Christ, the grace and knowledge of him, and that we would hear and obey. And those that have not yet come to faith in Jesus Christ might hear and be saved. But for us who have already been born again by your grace and love, I pray that we would grow in our obedience and our love for Jesus. We pray in his beautiful name. And all God's people said. Praise team. As we come to this time of uh, uh, pastoral prayer, I just want to take a moment and uh, just thank you, congregation, for allowing me to sit with my family and worship for a week. Uh, something that you take for granted when you are preaching almost every week. So thank you. Uh, it means a lot to me to be able to sit with our kids as we hear the Word of God preached. This morning, and I know he's not one for much ado, but I do want to just uh, give you an overview of who's preaching here, and I'll pray for you, Willie, and you can come up after. Uh, my pastor, uh, who I served under for almost seven or eight years at Sycamore Hills Baptist Church. Anyone ever heard of that before? Sycamore Hills Baptist, 39th Street. Willie just recently retired after 28 years. That is hard to believe. It seems like it has gone, gone so fast. And uh, we were able to hear him preach about a month ago when he gave his last sermon there. Uh, lots of memories, lots of heartaches, lots of joys, lots of sorrows, lots of tears. When you spend that long at one place, it's there. Uh, when, I, uh, when Willie and I had an interview in uh, February 2008, he thought he was going to bring me on as an intern. To, uh, to his dismay, I became the thorn in his side, wink, wink, for about seven or eight years, and uh, he put up with me. He tolerated me. You know, this is all joking. We got along just fine. But I, I found a brother, found a friend, and I found a pastor. And a lot of the ways I preach is a lot of ways you're going to hear him preach. He can, it's not a competition. It never is. But I can tell you that uh, for 28 years and then some, this brother served that congregation well by preaching the Word of God day after day. I've served under a lot of pastors who preach the Word of God well. Willie, without a doubt, is the best pastor I've ever had in terms of how he cares for people and how he handles the Word of God. And so when I asked him to come, he said, I'm retired, I can't preach, or something. I don't know what his excuse was. But his wife, Linda, is here too with him, and uh, you'll get to meet them after service. But I'm going to pray for them in just a moment. But I want to thank you, Willie, for coming. Linda, thank you for coming. Thank you for sharing the Word of God. We're not in Hebrews today. We're in Colossians. But I think you'll be challenged by that. But as we pray, and before Willie comes, uh, I'm going to pray for their church. They're looking for a new pastor. It's hard to fill a pastorate after a few years. It's hard even more so to do so after 28 years. And uh, we're going to pray for a sister church in, in independence. And so uh, when I got the call to come up here, many of those people are still dear friends, as you all have become to us, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. So uh, he's missed there, but we get the privilege of having him here. And so I don't know whether to call you doctor or brother or reverend or pastor or I'll just call you overseer. There you go. 
friend. Yeah, I'll call you friend. How about that? That sounds good. Will you bow your heads with me, and we'll get in the Word of God today. We will be back in our Hebrew study next week, and uh, thank you for the privilege of worshiping, and it's good for you also to remind you, it's good to hear an outside voice sometimes as we share the same Lord, same faith, same baptism, one Lord, one faith, as we do it all under His glory. Let's pray together. Why will we come? Father, thank you so much. Thank you, Lord, that we come together to hear the Word of God this morning. Lord, we bring all sorts of things. I am sure if we're honest this morning, spouses have had fights, kids have disobeyed, we've said crosswords, we've thought things, we've done things, we've considered things. There's a lot of things that we've brought in to this next bit of time. Father, we lay all that at your feet. We celebrate the joys of this week. We celebrate the sin and not celebrate the sin. We celebrate the fact that our sin's been forgiven despite who we are in Christ. Lord, we lay it all at your feet. We thank you for a dear brother coming to preach. And Father, I know the relationship Willie and I have is very special, Linda, to our family as well, and what they've meant to us over the years. Uh, he has seen me get married. He's seen me have kids. He's seen me take over first pastorate, and yet he's been there. Lord, may you speak through my brother. It's not about his persona or, or personality. It's about the word of God being handled. And we pray by your grace, you give us what we need to hear this morning. And we pray that. Father, we pray for our sister church, Sycamore Hills Baptist and Independence, Father, and other Southern Baptist church, uh, as they look for a new pastor. What a, what a task, a monumental task that is. But by your grace, give wisdom to their search committee, keep unity among the ranks, and Father, may the work of the ministry continue on. And we thank you for that. We thank you for our church at Towerview. We thank you for Brian Bryan and his family this last month. We thank you for Pastor Nelson and the deacons and all the workers here, Lord. You're doing a great work here. Everyone who is so faithfully here. Lord, as we come to hear your word, be lifted high. We thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Brother, it's all yours. Well, it certainly is a joy and a privilege for me to be here this morning. And you would think that every guest preacher would say that same thing. But this is really said from my heart. Uh, you've heard from Darren, and uh, I will pay him later. But uh, <laughs> I do have a great respect for your pastor, for his family. Um, I considered him a treasured friend, a treasured friend and a brother, a much younger brother in Christ. Yes, we did work together for eight years. I had more hair when he came, and it was a lot darker when he came. And I don't know if there was any affiliation between your coming and my loss of hair or gray, but uh, it works into that. One of the things that I have respected is that Darren is one who loves the Lord, and he loves to delve in the Word of God, and he is one who I know loves his family in this congregation, but he knows that the best way that he can love his family and his congregation is to pursue the Lord with all of his heart. He knows that the best that he can bring to you is parsing out the Word of God, and by doing that, whether you understand or it is ill-received, he will be faithful to the Word of God. That, my friends, is rare. I'm in the position for the first time in 40 years, Linda and I, of finding a church home. Trust me, it is rare. And so you treasure your pastor and you treasure the sharing of the Word. And uh, so it is a joy and a privilege from my heart. And I have not gotten to meet Brian yet, but anybody who quotes Thomas Watson <laughs> goes way up in my status, although if he would have done that at Sycamore Hills Baptist Church, they would have immediately said right after that, not the golfer. 
Thomas Watson, not the golfer. As your bulletin indicates, uh, and as Darren has said, I have spent the last 28 years as pastor at Sycamore Hills, 40 years altogether as a pastor. I've not preached uh, in a month, but don't worry, I'm not going to give you four sermons. I'm only going to give you one. But as a pastor, when you retire, you don't retire from the Christian life, nor do you retire from ministry. You just alter the setting that you're in. You alter the perspective that you have. And I uh, still desire to see everything in my life and the world around me through the lens of my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the places where I am now getting expanded as an individual is the grocery store. That may sound odd to you, but for many years, I confess, through those 40 years of being a pastor, I've had a very secondary role when it comes to the grocery store. Most of my visits to the grocery store have been kind of hit and miss, picks up something on the way home, go by, grab this, Oh, we forgot this. Can you go back and get this? So for 40 years, I've had a very secondary role. I still have a secondary role, but it's been elevated somewhat. I now am participating in grocery shopping more than I ever have before. And this last week, as I was commandeering the wobbly shopping cart in the grocery store, and we were going through the produce section, I stopped to admire the apples. Now, that doesn't sound very great, but I was admiring the apples. I'm not an apple connoisseur. I cannot tell one variety from another except if the sign is up there. I can't tell Jonathan's from Golden Delicious, from Fuji, or from Darren's favorite, Granny Smith's. I, I, I can't tell the difference. After all, there's only 1,500 varieties of apples out there. No, correct that. There are 7,500 varieties of apples out there. I've just never taken the time to invest myself in that. An apple is an apple, and I enjoy it a great deal. Now, something stuck with me a few years back, and... Um, before I share this, many of you are going to wonder how come I have been so ignorant through all my life, and I have been, but something struck me a few years back. So, Amy, if you'd put up the next slide, I discovered something about worms and apples that you may already know, that a worm doesn't eat its way into an apple, it eats its way out of an apple. Now, some of you would say you knew that all along, but I didn't. I should have because it was in our backyard when I was growing up. The way it works is during the summer, the fruit flies can be found buzzing around the apple trees. When they find the blossom or a, a, a really small apple, they, uh, the, the female has this sharp, hollow tube that she deposits eggs into the apple. And as the summer goes on and the apple eventually comes to the fullness within it, hatch out little tiny white worms. And they begin to eat their way from the inside out. 
Now, if you don't have a treated apple tree and you pick up an apple, you're not sure that there's a worm inside until you either cut it open or, yeah, take a bite. But the worms eat from the inside out. I want you to keep this picture in mind this morning as we explore Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 17. But we're going to explore it in the reverse. Because a worm is a bad thing eating its way out through a good thing. What we're going to see in Colossians chapter 3 is a good thing working its way out through a bad thing. Christ in you working out the Christian life. You have the practice here, just as we do at Sycamore, that in the reading of God's Word we stand. So for Colossians chapter 3, would you stand together with me as I read to you this section? I'm struggling a little bit. I've always preached from New American Standard, and I brought my English Standard, and all the pages stick together because I haven't used it that much. That is my excuse. Yes, I do my Bible reading. So uh, here we are. Verse 1 of Colossians chapter 3 from English Standard Version. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you too also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Will you join me in prayer? Father, this morning, I want to make much of Jesus Christ. I want to make much of his work from the inside out in those he's redeemed. I want to make much of what life really is, a life in Christ. I want to make much of this beautiful thing of the transformation of our souls. Father, 
I pray that I make much of Christ. For I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I realize that uh, you can go, yeah, thank you. I realize that this is a Sunday that in many churches is set aside as the Sanctity of Life Sunday. As important as that is, and it is important, I'm going to focus on a sanctity of an eternal life in Christ because that is eternal. And the sanctity of life is such an important issue in our country, and I want you to hear that from me. But this physical life is a breath. Just read Ecclesiastes. So this morning, I want to focus in this lengthy portion of Scripture. We're not going to walk through it verse by verse, but I'm going to kind of draw some things together. Five broad statements that I want to give you this morning that we look at in our Christian life. Christ working from the inside out in changing us. So Amy, if you'd bring up the next slide. First of all, I want you to see the recipients of this passage. We are reading in Colossians, and it's very obvious that when you look through this passage that this is to believers. Everything we talk about is for those who are those that claim Christ as theirs. A life that begins when you embrace the Lordship of Christ, a life where you recognize his substitutionary death for your sin, a life that is the redemption of your soul, a life that is a full surrender to Christ as you heard sung this morning, a life where the only hope of righteousness is Christ and Christ alone. It is done by grace, by faith, through the Word of God in Christ alone. You can see this when you look at verses 1, 3, 4, 12, 13, 15, and 17. I'm not going to go through each of those verses, but you can see these things raised with Christ. You can see that, it's, that you are hidden with Christ, that Christ who is your life, all of these are in references to those who have committed themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. These are not verses that call the lost person to embrace Christ. These are not verses that are going out and saying, you need to come to Christ. Paul is writing to those who have already claimed Christ. So if you're here this morning and you do not know Christ or you're listening or you're watching and you do not know Christ and you're about ready to say, hot dog, this is not about me, you've got other problems. You've got other problems that are addressed in this passage. The descriptive verses that you have, you are missing true life in verse 3. You are missing true security in verse 3. You are missing the joy of believing in Christ. You are missing being chosen by God in verse 12. You are missing the forgiveness of sin in verse 13. You're missing true peace in verse 15. So while you may breathe a sigh of relief and say, this is not for me, I'm not a believer in Christ, you really don't have a sigh of relief, you have great fear. For judgment awaits you. So you best pay attention to this beautiful statement for those that are believers in Christ. And if you are a believer in Christ, what we're going to see is something that is really pretty ugly that's made beautiful. If you are a believer, what Paul is writing about helps orient you to what Christ is really all about, what life in Christ is really all about. It is not merely a suggestion on how you might live better 
how you might get your finances in order, how you might have better relationships, how you might have less stress, how you might have better marriages, how you might be a better citizen. All those are important. But there is something greater than that that overrides that, that dictates that, that orients that. So now let's take a look at it. Next slide. We're going to start with the negative. Boy, nobody likes that. Through my years as pastor, I have found so many people that say, I'm looking for a church that will only tell me the positive. I don't like a negative message. I want nothing but positive. I, I, I don't like it when you talk about sin and things like that. In Luke chapter 7, there's an incident when Christ is in Simon's house, and he's anointed by a woman with oil, and Christ tells a story about a money lender and two that are in debt, one by 500 denarii and another by 50 denarii. And they're both forgiven, and he asks the question, which one is more grateful, more thankful? And the natural response is the one who owed 500 rather than the one who owes 50. So if you don't see the negative, I would say that you probably do not see the positive in its fullest. So let's start with the negative that we have here. These are verses that contain some negatives. Not negatives regarding politics or regarding society or even regarding the trials of life. But they're about the heart. Your heart, my heart, your child's heart, your mom's heart, your dad's heart, your grandchildren's heart, your best friend's heart, your neighbor's heart. How much do we want to do this? The heart of the person sitting next to you. The picture will not be a, a good apple that has a worm inside. What it's going to be is just the opposite. There was a rottenness. And Christ has come to work from the inside out. And we see this very specifically in verses 5 and 9 with two phrases. In verse 5, he makes reference to the earthly body. And in verse 9, to the old self. Note what Paul tells you. Consider the earthly body dead. I really do like, um, I've got to find my, my page here that gets me back to uh, the way it's expressed. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, English Standard Version. I like the way that's expressed. Because here it talks about this earthly body that is to be put and considered dead, and you're to lay aside the old self. If you wonder what the old self looks like, read verse 8. When you get down to verse 8, you have anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. And you might be sitting here saying, that's not me. That's not me. And I would say, well, now let's add lying to the list, because it is you. Many years ago, when I was in Colorado, I pastored there uh, before I came to uh, Missouri. I was asked to teach a child development class in a Christian university. The reason I was asked is because I 
had already two degrees in education and uh, elementary education, and they asked me to teach. And one day in the class, I caused great controversy as we had a discussion among Christian college students as to whether or not a child was born good, born bad, or born neutral. Some of you are sitting there going, well, I, I think I know the answer to this. But my question to the class was, if a child is born good and neutral, why do you have to teach him manners? Why do you have to teach him to share? Why do you have to teach him to be kind? Why do you have to teach him to control anger? Why do you have to teach him to care for others? The evidence is before you. All have sinned. And there's no qualifiers on that. And so it's being pointed out to you in these verses what you are without Christ. We are saying that there is within us this sinful nature and Christ is coming to work from the inside out. Now, I want you to understand that when we say bad, we're not as bad as we possibly can be. Uh, some people say, well, when you say we're bad, oh, I'm not, I'm not terribly evil. You know, not every egg has to be rotten to spoil an omelet. It just takes one. So there is something within us, and this earthly body... This old self must be put to death, must be laid aside. It is no longer to rule over you, your attitudes, your emotions, your fears, your responses, your very being. And you cannot do this in your own strength. In short, Paul is addressing... If you are one who claims Christ, life is no longer business as usual. It's a new life, and he works from the inside out. That's the negative. So let's take a look at the positive. Next slide. I'm going to say that the positive is summarized. It's encapsulated in verse 12. It's expressed in many different ways throughout this passage. But verse 12 really encapsulates what you have. Three things are looked at in verse 12. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Three things that we look at before we look at the command. Three elements are necessary for the command to be effectively lived out. And they are all descriptors of what it is to be united with Jesus Christ. First, you're distinguished as, as the object of divine favor. Uh, we could sit here and we could talk about this, but just read it as it says in the text, as God's chosen ones. As God's chosen ones. The object of divine favor. Uh, I don't know if I chose Linda or she chose me, but 
I'm the object of her favor. And that is something precious. Here is the chosen of God. These are not individuals who have earned God's favor. We know we're not saved by works. These are ones that is described in Ephesians chapter 1, according to the kind intention of God's will, have been granted grace and faith. This is Saul on the road to Damascus, not looking for Christ, but being arrested by Christ. This is Lydia in Acts chapter 16, where God opened her heart. This is the blind man in John chapter 9, who could not see but was given sight. This is Lazarus coming from the tomb in John chapter 11. Do you ever realize that when Christ said, Lazarus, come forth, if he had not said Lazarus and he would have only said, come forth, the whole cemetery would have come alive. Has it ever bothered you that the rest of them didn't? Lazarus, come forth. This is me in 19... 74, Willie, you, you, you. I was visiting here with Nelson beforehand, and we were talking, and I was not raised in a church-going family. I'd hardly ever been to church. I was arrested by Jesus Christ, the object of divine favor. Secondly, you notice that there is a distinguishment, distinguishment of purity and separation. These are holy, set apart, consecrated to service. Now, we often think of holy just in the moral sense, but there is an aspect here of being specially set apart. I had to do that as I closed out an office of 28 years with all of my thousands of books, and I had to decide which ones will I set apart, which ones will I pull apart, which ones will I keep I have boxes in my basement marked keep. There are boxes that I said, no, I'm not going to keep. You have been set apart. You are ones in this. And you have been set apart from the world. You are in the world, but you're not of the world. Set apart. Thirdly, you're distinguished by divine affection. You're the object of God's special love. I want you to know that God is beneficent to all mankind. He causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. But God shows his love how? By sending his son and by redeeming you at the cross. Anyone who speaks of God's love apart from the cross is not doing it justice. For that is what is described in Scripture. He is beneficent to all mankind. Every man who draws breath today, every woman who draws breath, every child who draws breath, he is being beneficent. You got up today. But his love rests only on those he has in Christ. So three things are described here. And since the believer is chosen, holy, and beloved, there is something that he or she is to be and to do. You're to put on a new self, a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, 
bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint, you're to forgive just as the Lord has forgiven you. They are to put on love, the perfect bond of unity. Is that what you've heard from Christians during COVID? I'll just ask you that question. Is that what you hear of Christians during political campaigns? Or are we more like the world? I want you to picture a man who's cold, who's freezing, who's unable to warm himself because his coat is full of gaping holes. And someone comes up to him and gives him a coat. He's chosen. They don't give coats to everybody, but they give this man a coat. He's chosen. The coat is especially for him. He is set apart. He is set apart. And the coat is given with compassion and concern. He is loved. Now, what's he to do? Admire the coat? Man, look at the stitching. Look at the size. Isn't that a nice lining? No. Take off the old coat. Put on the new one. Put on the new one. Now, I want you to see what this life looks like. If you're keeping track, I said five things. We're on number four. So you're coming close to the end, all right? We'll be done before the Chiefs game next week. <laughs> no, there isn't a Chiefs game next week, is there? I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, okay. Point number four. I want you to see what this life looks like. I'm going to summarize it with four general descriptions. First of all, it's a life of self-denial. Take a look at verses 12 through 14. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love. There is nothing in this description that is self-centered. It is self-denying. All of these are aspects of denying one's self. Christ said, if you want to be his disciple, you're to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. That's in the Gospels many times. It's a reminder that there is a humility and a dependence in the Christian life that needs to be exercised. Don't be foolish and think that sticking up for your rights or claiming a right to be angry or jealous or bitter fits the new life in Jesus Christ. And don't try to spiritualize them. Be careful. This life looks like self-denial. Certainly not what you're going to hear in the culture around you. This life is relational. The putting off and putting on is done in the context of the presence of others. 
the words used here are not isolationist words. They're not monk words. They're not retreat words. They're not some ivory towery words. They are horizontal working out of life. I had to remind myself when I came this morning that I haven't been preaching to you for 28 years, and all I have to do at Sycamore Hills is go horizontal, and they all go horizontal, vertical. Because out of the vertical relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you live out horizontally. And you cannot have one without the other. They go together. And you read the New Testament letters, and if you want to do a wonderful exercise, go through and mark the one another's that you find in the letters. It's an astonishing study. That's done here. So this new life is self-denial. It's relational. It's theological. Every characteristic is tethered to the complete work of Christ on the cross. Darren has called me his pastor. Darren, that is a humbling statement to begin with. My pastor was a man named Alan Harrison. When I left Boulder, Colorado to come to Sycamore Hills here in Missouri, I had a conversation with Alan, and he said, tether yourself to the Word of God. Tether yourself. I don't have a dog, and my cat certainly will not be tethered. But if you put a tether on a dog, he can only go so far, and he's pulled back. You are to tether this new life to the redemptive work of Christ on the cross. He said in verse 1, if you've been raised up with him, and in verse 13, you forgive as the Lord has forgiven you through his death on the cross. This is not simply a philosophical approach to life. It is one where you are a bondservant. And you cannot run through this life unattached to the cross. Lastly, it is descriptive, not prescriptive. This is one of my favorite phrases actually to use. This is not a description of how you become a Christian. It's not a prescribing, do this and you will be a Christian. This is a description of what it is to be a true Christian. This is what it looks like. This is Christ working his way out in you. There should be a growth in all of these areas. You don't do this in order to gain God's favor. You do this because you've received God's favor. It describes one who belongs to God, not a formula, to be lived out. Well, in case you've lost track, this is addressed to believers. There's the negative of the human heart. There is the positive that is being described, that you have been favored, you are holy, you're beloved. And this life has looked like this, self-denial, relational, theological, Descriptive. 
And so now the question comes, how in the world do you do this? I mean, if all we're going to do is stop right here, then this has just been kind of an interesting morning. Well, maybe not so interesting for you, but an interesting morning. How do we do this? Next slide. Here is the equipping that he gives you. And again, four things. In our human nature, we try to achieve this in our own strength. But the Lord is not only gracious to give us new life, he is gracious to give us the necessary tools, if I could use that word, to have that life lived out. Here's what Paul writes. Let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. This is not an emotional appeal. There's emotions in it, yes. But he's not saying, grab a cup of coffee and let the warm fuzzies flow. This is an appeal to a historical fact that I have peace through the cross of Christ. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 4.7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Colossians 1, and through Christ he came to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Paul constantly begins his letters with grace and peace in that order, because you cannot have peace unless you have grace. It's impossible. It used to be in the old days, even before I was around. And before somebody was, well, while they were dying, somebody might come up to them and say, have you made your peace with God? Well, I understand the question, but it's really phrased the wrong way. Have you received the peace that God has made for you in Jesus Christ? It is a historical position, not merely an emotional one. Second, you are to live in thankfulness. In context, this is linked to the peace that we just mentioned. It's not merely thankfulness for a good day, good health, good family. All of those are wonderful. It is thankfulness for the one thing that the Father has provided for you, the one being that has come, the one Savior that has come, the one Lord that has come. It is thankfulness to God that by His grace, he has loved you, that he sent his son to die for you in your place, taking the punishment you deserve, the wrath set against your sin, never to have it to return to you and be kept in his love for eternity. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. No government can give you that, no amount of money, no level of success, nor can they take it from you. You're to live in thankfulness. Can I ask the question again? Is that the way you've seen Christians through COVID? Through political campaigns? Thirdly, let the Word of God dwell in you. Don't lose the word dwell. 
This is more than just reading the Word of God. You know, sometimes as pastors, we get excited because people at least read it. This is more than being familiar with it. This is certainly not going to the Word of God and searching for a formula. It's more than having a favorite verse, although favorite verses are sure appropriate. It is the Word permeating every corner of your life. The picture that runs through my mind is walking barefoot through mud. It oozes up and takes over every crevice of your life. One of my favorite writers beside Thomas Watson is John Bunyan. Pilgrim's Progress. Spurgeon described John Bunyan as one that if you cut him, he bled the Bible. I think if you cut most professing, professing Christians, they would bleed politics, sports, pop culture, technology, individual rights, and not the Bible. Or they would run to the Bible to defend one of those rather than let the Bible permeate everything. Lastly, teaching and admonishing one another. Specifically, he states with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I do not think this is a description of worship style. I think this is a verse pointing to ministry. A ministry that is, that, that is musically applied. But it's not the music that's the primary focus. It's the teaching and admonishing one another. If COVID has done anything to the churches in the last two years, it has removed some people from your presence, whether right or wrong, and they are missing and you are missing the teaching and admonishment of one another. And if you're listening on a live stream or I understand out in the car, I want you to be wise about COVID and everything. But I want you to also consider your presence in the body of Christ is teaching and admonishing one another. I'm not your pastor, so I'm not doing this to promote attendance. And he wouldn't do it to promote attendance. We do it because we're concerned for your soul. Worms eat apples from the inside out. The bad overtakes the good. Christ changes you from the inside out. The good or the righteous taking over the unrighteous. And this is Paul's word to believers. It has been my habit through my years of preaching to finish with questions. Questions that I want to ask you. I'm going to ask you four. Question number one. What comes out when your life is bumped? 
I mean, that tells you what's inside, doesn't it? If you fill a glass full of water all the way to the top, and you tap it, water comes out. Not Coca-Cola, not coffee, water. Water. So when life bumps you, is it the old self? Is it the way of the world? Or is it what Christ is putting in you because you've received divine favor, you're set apart, and you're beloved? What comes out when you're bumped? All right, Darren, I'll stick my foot in my mouth. I don't think anything grieves a pastor more than to see a member of their congregation act in a worldly manner when they're bumped. I don't think there's anything that grieves, grieved me more as a pastor. And especially when they did it within the context of the fellowship. Question number two. Where do you seek peace? Politics? Assertion of your rights? Wealth? Health? Status? Proving to everybody else you're smarter? What brings you peace? You know, all of those are kind of flippant. I admit, I, uh, sometimes I have pursued those things and it's like Ecclesiastes tells me, I have found out there vanity upon vanity upon vanity. There is no peace. I want to seek peace in a historical, theological place, the cross of Christ. Question number three. Next slide. Are you using the tools? Are you letting the peace of Christ rule in your heart? Are you dwelling in the Word of God? Is there thankfulness pointing to the cross? Are you teaching and admonishing one another? Or do you think you're exempt? That God's going to do it and say, you know, I, I put this down for most of the others, but not for you. Are you using the tools? Let me ask you one more question. If you put it up, you really know Christ. Because if what we have read and what we've looked at this morning troubles you, that you just want a little bit of Jesus to get you through life, but you don't want to be transformed. You don't want to be changed from the inside out. You want to stick to your guns and just have a little bit of Jesus. You've got some serious issues, some very serious issues.
I've already probably gone longer than I should. But there needs to come a moment in your life where you're arrested. And you come to the realization that life as is is not really life. It's existence. And Christ has come to give you new life and to change you from the inside out. And if there's no evidence on the outside, it raises the question, is he really inside? I'm sure Darren would talk to you or Pastor Nelson would talk to you, Brian would talk to you about what it means to truly trust Christ. So whatever comes tomorrow, whatever comes this afternoon, whatever comes this week, whatever comes in the life of Tower View Baptist Church, you've been given a new life. Live it out in the context of this congregation to the glory of God. Will you pray with me? Father, this morning, this church, Sycamore Hills, many other churches, sit in the midst of a world that does not know you. And Father, this congregation is in the world, but they're not to be of the world. They have come to the realization that they have been given divine favor. They have been set apart, and they're loved. And Christ is at work from the inside out. Father, it's not perfection. It's growth. And each of us this morning can probably look at some of these descriptors and say, I failed in this area. I failed in this area. I failed in this area. But the real question is, am I growing in this area? Am I growing in this area? Is there evidence of new life in Jesus Christ? And if there isn't, Father, have them seek you. This is not a trivial matter. It's one of their soul for eternity. Thank you for giving me the privilege this morning of sharing your word. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our final song of worship this morning.